Mrs. Hudson, the landlady of Sherlock Holmes, was a long-suffering woman. Not only was her first-floor flat invaded at all hours by throngs of singular and often undesirable characters, but her remarkable lodger showed an eccentricity in his life, which must have surely tried her new patience. His incredible untidiness, his addiction to music at strange hours, and his occasional revolver practice within the doors made him the very worst tenant in London. On the other hand, his payments were princely. The landlady stood in the deepest awe of him and never dared to interfere with him, however outrageous his proceedings might seem. Knowing how genuine was her regard for him, I listened earnestly to her story when she came to my room in the second year of my married life and told me of the sad condition to which my poor friend was reduced. He is dying, Dr. Watson. For three days he has been sinking and I thought if he will last the day, he would not let me get a doctor. This morning when I saw his bones sticking out of his face and his great bright eyes looking at me, I could stand no more of it. I was horrified, for I had heard nothing of his illness. I need not say that I rushed for my coat and my hat. As we drove back, I asked for the details. She said that he has been working at a case down at Rotherhite, in an alley near the river, and he has brought this illness back with him. He took to his bed on Wednesday afternoon and has never moved since. For three days neither food nor drink has passed his lips. Good God! Why did you not call in a doctor? He wouldn't have it. You know how masterful he is. In the dim light of a foggy November day, the sick room was a gloomy spot. But it was that gone to wasted face, staring at me from the bed, which sent a chill to my heart. His eyes had the brightness of fever, and there was a hectic flush upon either cheek, and dark crust clung to his lips. The thin hands upon the grovelet twitched insanity. His voice was croaking. <coughs> well, Watson, we seem to have fallen upon evil days. My dear fellow, I cried approaching him. Stand back, stand right back. If you approach me, Watson, I shall order you out of the house. But why? <coughs> because it is my desire. Is that not enough? Yes, Mrs. Hudson was right. He was more masterful than ever. It was pitiful, however, to see his exhaustion. I only wished to help. Exactly. <laughs> you will help best by doing what you are told. Certainly, Holmes. He relaxed the austerity of his manner. You are not angry. Poor devil. How could I be angry when I saw him lying in such a plight before me? It's for your own sake, Watson. For your own sake. For my sake? I know what is the matter with me. 
It is a coolie disease from Sumatra. The Dutch know more about them we do. They have made little of it to date. He spoke now with a feverish energy. Contagious by touch, Watson. That's it. By touch. Keep your distance and all is well. Good heavens, Holmes! Do you suppose that such a consideration weighs with me for an instant? It would not affect me in case of a stranger. Do you imagine it would prevent me from doing my duty for so old a friend? Again I advanced, but he repulsed me with a look of furious anger. If you will stand there, I will talk. If you do not, <coughs> you must leave the room. I have so deep a respect for the extraordinary qualities of Holmes that I have always deferred to his wishes, even when I least understood them. But now, my professional instincts were aroused. Let him be my master elsewhere. I said, Holmes, you are not for yourself. A sick man is but a child. I will treat you. Whether you like it or not, I will examine your symptoms and treat you for them. He looked at me with venomous eyes. If I am to have a doctor, whether I will or not, let me have someone in which I have confidence on. Then you have none in me. In your friendship, certainly. But facts are facts, Watson. <coughs> After all, you are only a general practitioner with very limited experience and medicure qualification. It is painful to say these things, Watson, but you leave me no choice. Such a remark is unworthy of you, Holmes. It shows me very clearly that the state of your own nerves. But if you have no confidence in me, I would not intrude my services. Let me bring Sir Jasper Meek or someone else. But if you think that I am going to stand here and watch you die, it's not going to happen. You mean well, Watson. Shall I demonstrate your own ignorance? <coughs> what do you know, prey of Tapanoli fever? What do you know of the black Formosa corruption? I have heard neither of them. There are many problems of disease, many strange pathological possibilities in the East. Watson. <coughs> he paused after each sentence to collect his falling strength. I have learned so much during some recent researches which have a medical criminal aspect. It was in the course of them that I <coughs> contracted this complaint. Possibly not, but I happen to know that Dr. Ainstree, the greatest living authority, upon tropical diseases now in London. All remonstrance is useless, Holmes. I am going this instant to fetch him. I turned resolutely to door. Never I had such a shock. In an instant, with the tiger spring, the dying man had intercepted me. I heard the sharp snap of a twisted key. The next moment, he had staggered back to his bed, exhausted. <laughs> You won't take the key from me, my false Watson. I have got you, my friend. Here you are, and here you will stay until I feel otherwise. But I will humor you. You have only my own good at heart. Of course, I know that very well. You shall have your way, but give me 
some time to get my strength back. Not now, Watson. Not now. <laughs> it's four o'clock at six. You can go. This is insanity, Holmes. Only two hours, Watson. I promise. You will go at six. Are you content to wait? I seem to have no choice. None in the world, Watson. None in the world. Thank you. I need no help in arranging the clothes. You will please keep your distance. Now, Watson, there is one other condition. You will seek help not from the man you mentioned, but from the one I choose. <coughs> By all means. <laughs> the first three sensible words that you have uttered since you entered this room, Watson. I wonder how a battery feels when it pours electricity into a non-conductor. At six, Watson, we resume our conversation. But it was destined to be resumed long before that hour. I had stood for some minutes looking at the silent figure in the bed. His face was almost covered by clothes and he appeared to be asleep. I walked slowly around the room examining the pictures of celebrated criminal with which every wall was adorned. Finally, I came to the mantelpiece. The litter of pipes, tobacco pouches, syringes, pen knives, revolver cartridges, and other debris was scattered over it. In the midst of these was a small black and white ivory box. I stretched out my hand to examine it more closely when it was a dreadful cry that he gave a yell which might have been heard down the street. My skin went cold and my hair bristled at that horrible scream. Put it down, Watson. Down this instant, Watson. This instant, I say. His head sank back upon the pillow and he gave a deep sigh of relief as I replaced the box upon the mantelpiece. He seemed to have been watching the clock for it was hardly six before he began to talk. Now, Watson. <laughs> Have you any change in your pocket? Yes, any silver. A good deal. How many half crown? I have five. Ah, too few, too few. How very unfortunate, Watson. However, such as they are, you can put them in your watch pocket and the rest in your left trouser pocket. Thank you. It will balance you so much better like that. He shrugged and again made a sound between cough and sob. <coughs> you will now like the gas, Watson, but you will be very careful that not for instance shall it be more than half on. I implore you to be careful, Watson. No, you need not draw the blind. Now, you will have the kindness to place some letters on the table within my reach. Thank you. Now, some of that litter on that mantelpiece. Excellent, Watson. Kindly. Raise the small ivory box with its assistance <coughs> and place it on the papers. You can now go and fetch Mr. Culverton Smith of 13 Lower Broad Street. I have never heard the name. Possibly not, my dear Watson. <coughs> it may surprise you that this man is not a medical man but a planter. Mr. Culverton Smith is not only a well-known resident of Sumatra, but is now visiting London 
He is a methodical man, Watson, and I did not desire you to start before six because I am well aware that he would not find him in his study. If you could persuade him to come here and give us the benefit of his unique experience of this disease, <coughs> I cannot doubt that he could help me. I give Holmes' remarks as a consecutive whole. His appearance had changed for the worse during the few hours that I had been with him. Those hectic spots were more pronounced. The eyes shone more brightly out of the dark hollows and a cold sweat glimmered upon his brow. You will tell him exactly how you have left me. You will convey the very impression which is in your mind, a dying man. I cannot think why the whole pair of ocean is not one of the solid mass of oysters. Ah, uh, I am wondering again. What was I saying, Watson? My direction to the plunder. Ah, uh, yes, I remember. <coughs> My life depends upon it. Plead with him, Watson. There is no good feeling between us. His nephew Watson, I had suspicion of foul play and I allowed him to see it. The boy died horribly, Watson. He has a grudge against me. You will soften him, beg him, pray him, get him here by any means. I will bring him in a cab if I have to carry him down to it. You will do <coughs> nothing of sort. You will persuade him to come. Then you will return in front of him. Make any excuse, Watson. You won't fail me. You never did. I left him full of image of this magnificent intellect babbling like a foolish child. He handed me the key and I took it. Mrs. Hudson was waiting, trembling and weeping in the passage. Below as I stood whistling for a cab, a man came on me through the fog. How is Mr. Holmes, sir? It was Inspector Morton of Scotland Yard. He is very ill. The cab had driven. Lower Berg Street proved to be a line of fine house lying in a vague borderland between Nothing Hill and Kenningston. The particular one at which my cabman pulled up had an air of smug and demure respectively, in its old-fashioned iron railing, its massive folding door and its shining brass work. The Solman butler appeared, said Mr. Culverton Smith is in, and will take up my card. My humble name and title did not appear to impress Mr. Culverton Smith. Through the half-open door, I heard a high, petulant, penetrating voice. Who is this person? What does he want? Dear me, Staples, how often I said that I am not to be disturbed in my hours of study. There came a gentle flow of soothing explanation from the butler. Well, I won't see him, Staples. I can't have my work interrupted like this. I am not at home. Say so. Tell him to come in the morning if he really must see me. Again the gentle murmur. Well, well, give him that message. I thought of Holmes tossing upon his bed and counting the minutes, perhaps, until I could bring help to him. 
Before the apologetic butler had delivered his message, I had pushed past him and was in the room. What's this? What is the meaning of this intrusion? Didn't I send you word that I would see you tomorrow morning? I'm sorry, but the matter cannot be delayed, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. The mention of my friend's name had an extraordinary effect on him. The look of anger passed his face. Have you come from Holmes? I have just left him. What about Holmes? How is he? He is desperately ill. The man motioned me to a chair. I caught a glimpse of his face in the mirror over the mantelpiece. I could have shown that it was said in a malicious and abominable smile. I am sorry to hear this. I only know Mr. Holmes through some business dealing, but I have respect for his talents and his character. He is an amateur of crime, as I am of disease. For him, the villain. For me, the microbe. There are my prisons. He continued, pointing to a row of bottles and jars which stood upon a side table. Among these gelatine cultivation, some of the very worst of tenders in the world are now doing time. Mr. Holmes has a high opinion and thought you could help him because of your knowledge of Eastern disease. Right. But why should he think that this disease which he has contracted is from Eastern? Because in some professional inquiry he worked in Chinese sailor dogs. Oh, that's it. Is it? I trust the matter is not so grave. How long has he been ill? About three days. Is he delirious? Occasionally. Tut tut. This sounds serious. Ah, uh, it would be inhuman not to answer his call. I will come with you at once. I have another appointment. Very good. I will go alone. It was with a sinking heart that I re-entered Holmes' bedroom. To my enormous belief, he had improved greatly in the interval. Admirable, Watson, admirable. You are the best of messengers. He wished to return with me. That would never do, Watson. <coughs> Did he ask what light me? I told him about the Chinese in East End. Exactly well, Watson. You can now disappear from the scene. I must wait and hear his opinions. Of course you must. But I have reason to suppose that this opinion would be very much more frank and valuable if he imagines we are alone. My dear Holmes, I fear there is no alternative, Watson. The room does not lend itself to concealment which is as well as it is less likely to arouse suspicion. Suddenly, he sat up with a rigid intentness upon his haggard face. <coughs> there are wheels, Watson. Quick, don't budge. Whatever happens to you here, don't speak, don't move. Then in an instant, his sudden access of strength departed in a low murmuring voice. From the hiding place, I heard Footfalls with the opening and closing of bedroom door. I could imagine 
that our visitor was standing by the side and looking down at the sufferer. Holmes, Holmes, can't you hear me, Holmes? Uh, is that you, Mr. Smith? Uh, I hardly dared hope that you would come. I should imagine not. And yet, you see I am here. Cones of fire, Holmes, cones of fire. It is very good of you, very noble of you. You do, you are unfortunately the only man in London who does. You know what is the matter with you. The same. Ah, you recognize the symptoms only too well. Well, I shouldn't be surprised, Holmes. A bad lookout for you if it is. Poor Victor was a dead man on the fourth day. A strong, healthy young fellow. Singular confidence, Holmes. Very smart of you to notice it, but rather uncharitable to suggest that it was cause and effect. I knew that you did it. Oh, you did? Did you? Well, you couldn't prove it anyhow. But what do you think of Yunsu spreading reports about me like that and then crawling me for help the moment you are in trouble? <coughs> Give me water. You are near your end, my friend. But I don't want you to go till I have a wound with you. That's why I give you water. There, don't slop it about. That's right. Do you do what you can for me? Let bygones be bygones. I will put the words out of my head. I swear I will. Only cure me and I will forget about it. Forget what? Well, about Victor Savage's death. You just admitted it. Well, you can forget it or remember it, just as you like. I don't see you in the witness box. I assure you, it matters nothing to me how my nephew died. Yes, yes. The fellow who came for me, I have forgotten his name, said that you contracted it down in the east end up among the cellars. I could only account for it so. You are proud for your brains, Holmes, are you not? Think yourself smart, don't you? You came across someone who is smarter this time. Now, cast your mind back. Can you think of no other way you could have got this thing? I can't think. <laughs> My mind is gone. Yes, I will help you. I will help you to understand just where you are and how you got there. Give me something to ease the pain. Painful, is it? Yes, the coonies used to do something squealing. Take you as cramp, I fancy. Yes, yes, it is cramp. Well, you can hear then. Listen now. Can you remember? Any unusual incident in your life when all these began? No, no, nothing. Think again. I am too ill to think. Well then, I will help you. Did anything come by post? By post? A uh, box by chance? I am fainting. I am gone. Lesson, Holmes. There was a sound as if he was shaking the dying man. 
and it was all that I could do to hold myself quiet in my hiding place. You must hear me. You shall hear me. Do you remember an ivory box? It came on Wednesday. You opened it. Do you remember? Yes, yes, I opened it. <coughs> there was a sharp spring, some joke. It was no joke, as you will find to your cost. You fool, you would have it, and you have got it. If you have let me alone, I would not have to hurt you. I remember the spring it drew blood. This box. Uh, the very one by George. And it may as well leave the room in my pocket. But you have the truth now, Holmes, and you can die with the knowledge that I killed you. Holmes' voice had sunk to an almost inaudible whisper. What is that? Turn up the gas. Ah, the shadows begin to fall, do they? Yes, I will turn it. That I may see you the better. A match and a cigarette. I nearly called out in my joy and my amazement. He was speaking in his natural voice. A little weak perhaps, but the very voice I knew. What's the meaning of this? The best way of successfully acting, part is to be it. I give you my word that for three days I have tasted neither food nor drink until you poured me a glass of water. But it is the tobacco which I found must in some. Ah, here are some cigarettes. That is much better. Hello, hello, hello. Do I hear step of a friend? There were footfalls outside the door, opened, and Inspector Morton appeared. All is in order, and this is you, man. I arrest you on the charge of murdering of one Victor Savage. And you must add of the attempted murder of Sherlock Holmes. By the way, prisoner has a small box in the right-hand pocket. Handle it with care. A nice trap. It will bring you into the dark homes, not me. He asked me to cure him. I was sorry for him and I came. Now he will pretend no doubt that I have said anything which he may invent. You can lie as you like, Holmes. My word is always as good as yours. Good heavens, I have totally forgotten about him. My dear Watson, I owe you a thousand apologies to think that I should have overlooked you. I need not introduce you to Mr. Colburton Smith, since I understand that you met somewhat earlier in the evening. Holmes refreshed himself with a glass of claret and some biscuit. Have you the cab below? I will follow you when I'm dressed, for I may be of some use at the station. However, as you know, my habits are irregular. It was very essential that I should impress Mrs. Hudson the reality of my condition, since she was to convey it to you. You won't be offended, Watson. But your ghastly face, your appearance. Three days of absolute fast does not include one beauty, Watson. <laughs> With whistling upon one's forehead, belladonna in one's eyes. Rogue over cheekbones can give a satisfying effect. 
But why would you not let me come near you since there was in truth no infection? Can you ask my dear Watson? Do you imagine that I have no respect for your medical talents? Could I fancy that your state of judgment would pass a dying man who half a week had no rise or pulse of temperature? Alright Watson, you must help me on with my coat. When we have finished at the police station, I think that something nutritious at Simpsons would not be out of the place. Out of the place.